Well, why don't we pray together here one more time? Father, we just look to you for help. We need you in every moment. We need you today. Uh, pray that your word would um, sink into our hearts and help us. We want to renew our minds, and we need you. We need your spirit, so we're looking to you for help. Thank you that you loved us and redeemed us, and we're just thankful um, that you didn't leave us to ourselves. Ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you want to turn to Ruth, we're going to finish up Ruth here. I'm going to read Ruth chapter 4. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there, and behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. And so Boaz said, Turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he, returned, and he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit down here. So they sat down. And then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you and say... Bide in the presence of those sitting here, and in the presence of the elders of my people, if you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, The day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my, take my right of redemption for yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now this was the custom in the former times of Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging to confirm a transaction. One drew off his sandal and gave it to the other, and this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, Buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, You are witnesses this day that I have bought. From the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech, and all that belonged to Chilhan and Mahan. Also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Mahan. I have bought to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. The name of the dead may not be cut off, that the name of the dead might not become cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be cut off. May your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to, to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed is the Lord who has not left you this day without a Redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life, a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you, is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him in her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Aminadab. Aminadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. And Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David.
All right, well, there's a lot here in this section and several points here. The first thing that I want to point out, kind of a side point but an important point, is that God's plan was always for all tribes, tongues, and nations, even in the Old Testament. And we see that here um, with Ruth, how she was from Moab. And how, specifically in verse 11 of chapter 4, the elders gave their full blessing of this marriage and they said that they prayed that she would be like Rachel and Leah, uh, who together built up the house of Israel. And this is important because it comes up so clearly in the New Testament that Jesus came to save the world, um, not just Israel, but the entire world. And we just want to notice that as we go through the Old Testament, that that's clearly God's plan was to make Abraham a blessing to all nations. And we see it from Genesis all the way on that God's plan was for every person. Um, All tribes, tongues, and nations. And we really can't overstate how much we've been affected in our present culture by God and the truth that he has made clear in his word and how it permeates our culture even in ways that our culture doesn't really recognize. And one of the ways is that all people are created in the image of God. And we see that, one, that Ruth is a Moabitess, but we also see that she was low status here. Like, she was a lady who was a widow from another country. It's like the lowest of the low. And here is very clear in this book, but also throughout the whole Bible, that God cares for people. God loves people, all types of people. The lowest of the low in terms of societal status all the way to um, you know, the highest king. God believes they're all valuable because they're made in his image. And it reminds me of the verse earlier on in Ruth where she says, you know, who am I that you would take notice of me? And that's, that's not, I don't think that's word for word, but that's basically what she says. So we want to see that and acknowledge that, but also think back about the culture at this time. And it's so hard to get this across. I was thinking, and even this morning I was still thinking, how can I get this across? And I just don't know how to get it across, how worthless um, people were treated in even the first century and, and before. People of low status like slaves or or um, even even wives of senators and things in Rome were treated so bad that I couldn't even I couldn't even tell you the examples are so bad and it's and I don't know how to get it across to you um, I could give some examples but then it's like man that's still not getting across because the real examples are so graphic and so horrible I don't even want to repeat them that people really were treated worthless so I'll give you an example that does not get it across. But even, this is later on, this is well after Ruth, but it kind of gives you a feel for like the ancient world and the value of life. Um, uh, one of the emperors, so one of the emperors of Rome, one of the most powerful men in the world, the most powerful man in the world, um, 
how valuable do you think his wife was? I mean, married to the most powerful man in the world. And um, one of the emperors, Nero, uh, killed his own wife, got upset, and just started beating her, and she died. And people knew it, and it was just kind of like, that's that. And that's a tame example. <laughs> um, and I'm not even telling you all the gory details on that. But it just gives you a feel for how people really believed, well, that person doesn't matter. That's just a slave. That's just a plebeian. That's just a woman. And the, that the fact that the Bible has this book about Ruth the Moabitess is so amazing. It's really countercultural. And we have been living in, in many ways, a Christian Christianized culture that has built, been built on principles you know most of you know Europe and, and what we call like Western civilization has been built on the fact that every person is valuable period no matter how much money they have no matter their status and so what I'm trying to do is bridge build a bridge here between the context here in Ruth and then where we are and just to highlight to you how amazing it is that God loves every individual and cares for them and that this book is in the Bible at all. It's amazing. It's an evidence of God being the author of the Bible. Um, and there's lots of other examples in the Bible, but we don't want to take it for granted. What an amazing thing. Well, let's look at this specifically, the value here, you know, what happens to, uh, to Ruth and Naomi. They're redeemed. So let's talk about redemption. Redeeming is being set free by paying a price. So we're going to look at two examples. Like We're looking at two things at once. We're looking at what happened in here in Ruth, but we're also looking at what redemption points to in Christ. That This is a picture of Christ. And the whole idea of redemption was pointing forward to Jesus. So... Let's start by looking at the Old Testament context. What does it mean to redeem? I'll read you a couple different verses here. Um, I won't make you turn there because I'm going to read quite a few. But Exodus 34.20 says, The firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb, or if you will not redeem it, you shall break its neck. The firstborn of your sons you shall redeem, and none shall appear before me empty-handed. Redemption is a costly thing. In this particular case, in Exodus, it says, the donkey you redeem with the lamb, um, the firstborn. And the same with the sons. You're, you're, you're making a costly sacrifice. I like that example from Exodus because we were redeemed by a costly sacrifice, a lamb that was shed for us, his blood shed for us, Christ. Uh, Christ came to redeem us. In this case, in the Old Testament, it was for people who had land but had to sell it. And they sold their land because maybe they didn't have any money or they couldn't keep it up. And eventually it would come back to them in the year of Jubilee, but it's for basically people who didn't have anything. But then a Redeemer could come in and purchase that land on behalf of them. So it's, it's quite a good picture there of how needy Ruth and Naomi were. But what about us? We're needy, right? We don't have anything. We can't redeem ourselves. We don't have the resources. We can't buy the land back. Uh, 
In our case, it's sin, right? We can't pay our debt of sin. We need something from the outside, someone from the outside to come and purchase us. And that's Jesus. And it costs, it's cost, it's costly. Um, it costs Boaz here and it costs Jesus more. It costs him the shedding of his own blood on the cross. Just read a few verses from the New Testament on Christ. We're justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. That's Romans three, twenty four and twenty five. Ephesians one says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Galatians three. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Just like it costs Boaz money here, and it, just like it would cost the blood of a lamb to redeem a donkey or a firstborn son, Jesus justified us, redeemed us, purchased us by His blood. And how is that received? It's received by faith. Uh, we're receiving the gift of redemption by faith. Again, I just feel that it's so hard to get across what this really means. I mean, we hear, we talk about Jesus dying on the cross for us. And if you grew up in a Christian home, you've heard it many, probably thousands of times. But it's a big deal. Um, we don't want it to become this thing that happened in the past that's not really real to us. Uh, Spurgeon, it's kind of strange in a way to think about Spurgeon living at the time of slavery. It's like in my mind he seems not to be living at that time, but he was, and he spoke out against slavery. But he has a lot of stories in his sermons that he read about actual events with slaves. And one that he sh- he tells, as far as I can understand, it's a true event that he read and recounted in one of his sermons about redemption, is that there was a person with a slave, and they were out in public, and the slave did something wrong, and the master got really angry and actually pulled out a sword and was about to kill the slave. And someone stepped in and actually stopped the sword and cut the man uh, who stopped him. Uh, And which is pretty remarkable. Remarkable thing to do. Again, an example of love towards um, even the least status person. And the person said to the, to the owner of the slave that, that cut, cut them, which was a big faux pas, you know, um, really bad that towards that person. And they said, I've purchased this slave by my blood. And they received the slave uh, that person, you know, apologized profusely or whatever for cutting them, and that person set the slave free. What an amazing story! <laughs> but I just want to highlight too. It just doesn't do it justice. I mean, imagine yourself a slave, and you see anger, and you see a sword coming out, and you can tell this is it. And then somebody steps in, and you see the blood dripping. And they say, I purchased them by my blood. What an amazing moment of despair to triumph to jubilation, freed. But it just doesn't do justice because Jesus did not have to become a man, right? That person who 
put his hand out and got cut. They didn't die. And they're just sinner like you and me. Jesus never had to become a man. That's infinite humbling right there. Just God becoming a man at all. And if he became a man, he didn't have to die. Jesus could have said, I didn't sin. I don't have to die. I don't deserve death. The one person on earth who never had to die. Jesus. He died for us. It was God's blood that was shed for you. Not just a sinful person. That's remarkable. Just don't want to lose sight of what it costs. Thomas Watson said about redemption that I should have written it down because I'm not going to get it word for word perfect, but basically if all the angels in heaven decided, let's let's make a purse together and, and let's pour all our resources into redeeming one sinner, they wouldn't be able to do it. They wouldn't have the resources. All the angels in heaven, myriads, you know, thousands upon thousands, they couldn't re- redeem one of us. And yet, Jesus, God, became a man to redeem us. It's an amazing thing. Don't want to lose sight of what he's done. Forgiveness of sins. Freed from our curse. He's our redeemer. He, pur- he purchased us. He freed us by a costly sacrifice. Well, let's talk about a few more little points here of contrast and comparison between Boaz, the Redeemer, and Jesus. I want you to know, think about this other person who decided not to redeem. They were going to redeem the land, but when they heard, oh, the land, I'll get the land, yeah, I'll redeem it. And they heard, yeah, but you also have to take Ruth and Naomi. They decided, oh, I don't want to do that. That's going to, that's going to hinder me being able to have more. Uh, my kids being able to have more in the end. So uh, I changed my mind. I'm not going to redeem it. Think about that. In some ways, what a good picture of Christ. What a good contrast to Christ. Christ gave up his inheritance and split it with us. Aren't we children with God, co-heirs with Christ? We get his reward. Aren't you glad Christ didn't say, Ah, I don't want to split my inheritance. I don't want to split it between all these sinners. I'm going to keep it all for myself. Instead, he sacrificially gave himself on the cross, but also his inheritance to us. We're co-heirs with Christ. Fellow heirs with Christ. What an amazing thing. The other thing I want you to notice is uh, the guy that decided not to redeem He was wanting the thing, right? He was wanting the land. He was wanting the possession. But then when there was a person there, it's like, oh, that person's a burden. I don't want the person. I just want the stuff. Think about Christ. Christ wanted a personal redemption. He wanted you. He died for you. He wants a relationship with you, just like Boaz actually wanted a relationship with Ruth and Naomi to take care of them, to to come alongside them. To actually, you know, marry Ruth. And it's the same with Christ. Christ wants a relationship with you. It's not just that Christ did a wonderful thing and freed you from your sin. He made a covenant with you. And he said, not only am I going to free you from your sin, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to have a relationship with you from now and forever. And I'm going to commit myself to take care of you. You're mine. What an amazing thing. That not only did Christ, when we come to him in faith, redeem us, free us from our sin. He's with us from then on. 
were Christ. This is this isn't the right way to say it, but I'm just trying to say it in a little bit different way. You're Christ's problem. I'm Christ's problem. No, as we're fault, we're fallen, we're we're we fail, we're sinners, but we're Christ, and He's there for us. He's taking care of us. He's committed to not let us go. Amazing. Christ is our bridegroom, right? John three twenty nine. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom, and the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. Je- there, John the Baptist is talking about Jesus as the bridegroom. I mean, there really is a sense in which we're Christ. We're his bride. He loves us. He gave himself for us. He has this covenant with us of love for eternity, committed. Not just, I'm going to free you now, but I'm going to be with you forever. I'm going to make a promise. I'm not sure how much to go into this, but I just thought it would be good to have some of the background here on, on this whole situation. There's a command in Deuteronomy. This is backtracking a little bit into kind of the Old Testament context. If brothers dwell together and one of them dies and has no son, the wife of the dead man shall not be married outside the family to a stranger. Her husband, her husband's brother, shall shall marry her and take his wife to perform the duty of a husband. And the first son to whom she bears shall succeed the name of his dead brother, that his name may not be blotted out of Israel. So this is kind of the background of this situation where there's no there's no one to inherit. Elimelech's property and to continue his line. And they that's what this whole conversation between Boaz and this other redeemer is is talking about. Well, we're supposed to, in honor of Elimelech, continue this line. And so somebody needs to um, marry Ruth. And whenever you do that, your inheritance isn't of that child, even though it's your child, it's not your child. It's going to be, uh, the honor is going to go to Elimelech. And it's going to continue his line. This actually comes up in Matthew when they ask Jesus that question about the brother. Remember, if one brother dies and then the next one, the next one, the next one, um, whose wife is she? So that's that's kind of the the context there. And the reason it's important, again, is just to kind of circle back around, is it's personal. God came in the person of Jesus. God became Jesus. Um, He took on flesh. He humbled himself for you. And it cost him something. He's our Redeemer. He purchased us out of sin and slavery to sin. He gave us an inheritance. He married the church. Um, he made a commitment to take care of us forever. And I want to hi- highlight one more thing here. But, let's just look at the ways Christ is greater here than Boaz. It's an amazing thing that here's this man, Boaz, who really went against his culture. And you can kind of see that as you read through the book, like where he tells the young men, like, don't touch this a girl that's walking in the field and telling her don't go to the other fields because you're not going to be safe. Remember that? 
he's going he's he's going against the culture there and things are not right you know we know this is in the time of the judges and if you read that really horrible things going on and not, and not a safe place to be but here is this person that's different boaz is different he cares about people even the little people the least of the people but he's nothing compared to jesus right that this picture is that for this one person or two people i guess you could say ruthie and naomi but Jesus, as Redeemer, is greater because his purchase is greater. He came to redeem any sinner that will come to him. It's really amazing. And I'm going to speculate just a little bit here. But there's another option to redemption in the Old Testament. And that was the year of Jubilee. And basically the exact same thing would happen, except it would just be universal. Uh, all the land would go back to those who had sold it. And that would happen across the entire uh, entire country. All you know, after the seven Sabbath years of forty nine, after the forty ninth year, then there would be this year of jubilee. I'll read you a couple of verses here. This is what Leviticus. This whole se- there's a section in Leviticus where it talks about redeemers, but also talks about the year of jubilee. Here's what it says about jubilee. And you shall consecrate the fiftieth year and proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants, and it shall be a jubilee for you. When when each one of you shall return to his property and each of you shall return to his clan, that fiftieth year shall be a jubilee for you. In it you shall neither sow nor reap of what grows of itself, nor gather grapes from the the undressed vines, for it is a jubilee. It shall be holy to you, and you may eat the produce of the field. In this year of jubilee you shall return turn each of you shall return to his property so the it contrasts redemption to jubilee in Leviticus 25 and it basically says if you're not redeemed eventually there's going to be a universal redemption of jubilee um, where everyone's going to go back to the land and it's all going to be returned Uh, your debts are going to be forgiven and again i'm going to speculate just just a little bit here but i think it's pretty clear that Christ is our jubilee, right? Christ is the one that came not to just ransom one person like Ruth or Naomi. He came to ransom any sinner that will come to him in faith. And there's a hint in the New Testament that Jesus was born on the year of jubilee, and I'll give you the hint here, and from Luke 2. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all of the world should be registered. This is Luke 2. And this was the first registration when Quinerius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And now that's the part, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee to the town of Nazareth to Judea, the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. Now, the reason there's a hint that this is Jubilee is actually like Roman scholars will kind of criticize this poor portion of the text. They'll say, uh, we know that Caesar did not ask people to go back to their hometowns because we have the decrees other places. So this is, this is kind of weird here. Well, we know that the Old Testament actually requires them to go back to their hometown. When was that? That was the year of Jubilee. And so as you read it, it sounds like that's part of what... Um, it sounds, you could at first take it as that's what Caesar said, but we know from history that Caesar didn't ask that of the other Roman provinces or whatever. So we can just, again, speculate just a little bit 
that when do when was everyone required to go back to their hometown? The year of Jubilee. That's what we just read in Leviticus. They would all go back to their hometown. And so, again, if you if you disagree with this, this is fine. But I'm just giving you my thought. It seems like Jesus was born on the year of Jubilee, when everyone was required to go back to their own hometown and was freed. Um, that's what makes sense to me in terms of why would they all be doing this? Uh, why would they all be going back to the town if Caesar didn't ask them to do it? Well, God asked them to do it in Leviticus. And so it seems like it kind of uh, connected with, well, we're going to have a census. We're already all going back to our hometown. We'll count then when everyone is already making this pilgrimage. Um, and so even if that's not the case, I think we can be confident and say that Jesus is our jubilee. Jesus is our jubilee. Jesus is the one who's here to save Israel, but also the world. Um, praise God. Praise God that we have a Redeemer. That's the last point here, what Ruth says in 4.14. And the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a Redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. Blessed be the Lord has not left you without a Redeemer. Let's praise God. We're not left without a Redeemer. Just like Ruth and Naomi, we're not left without a Redeemer. God could have, if He wanted to, left us all in our sin, never redeemed us, never stepped in, never became a man. And that would have been just and right. But he did more. He loved us and cared for us and came at great personal cost to himself to shed his own blood so that he might, we might be his, his problem. He might take us and care for us every day for the rest of our lives and for all eternity. Despite our faults and failures, despite great cost to him, aren't we thankful? Weren't we just like Naomi and Ruth? We couldn't have done it. We were, just, we were stuck. We would have been begging right? Spiritually for the rest of our lives, and yet we're not beggars anymore. We've got a rich husband (laughs) in Christ, and we have all things in him. Uh, Just like Ephesians says, all the blessings um, in heaven are here for us because of Christ, because of him, what he did for us. So we can just praise God, take just a moment and think, I'm not left without a Redeemer. What would it have been like? We were slaves to our sin. You know, I think we've talked about this before, but sometimes people don't realize they're slaves to sin. It's like, imagine you've got a chain on your ankle. This is actually another good example of slavery, how bad people were treated in the first century. Um, Whenever Vesuvius, Mount Vesuvius erupted, it, it covered Vesuvius... Uh, Pompeii covered Vesuvius and Herculaneum in ash, and it's basically this perfectly preserved first century Roman city. And there was slaves still chained up to the wall, still there. They didn't, they didn't even take time to let them out. How sad. You know, basically feels like the world's ending. Uh, we'll leave the slaves chained up. And, but that's how we are in our sin, though, isn't it? We're chained up. And we could convince ourselves, how many of you I'm sure we've all convinced ourselves that we weren't really slaves to sin, that we were really free, we could do whatever we want. But the way you know you're a slave is when you get to the end of your chain, right? It's like you're, 
you got this chain on your leg and depending on how long it is, you can move around like, oh, I can walk around right here, walk around right here. But then when you say walk over there and you get to the end, you realize, wait, I'm a slave. I'm not free. We can just remember, I mean, take time to remember those times. Remember when you were enslaved to a sin and you finally said, I want done with this. I want to be done with this. This is hurting me and other people. And I, I don't want to do this anymore. I want to be done. And then you did it again and again and again and again. And you start to realize, I'm a slave. Imagine if that's where you still were. Like, man, I can't get out of this. But, praise the Lord, right? He's delivered us. He's freed us. We've got new life in Christ through the Spirit. I mean, that's one of the big inheritances that we have is the Spirit within us. Praise God. He didn't leave us without a Redeemer. We're thankful. Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a Redeemer. May His name be renowned in Israel. Let's praise Him. Let's remember and let's praise Him. Because every day from now to eternity, we're going to wake up even in the new heaven and the new earth and it's going to be true. Wow, I don't deserve to be here today. But Christ purchased me. But Christ loved me and gave Himself for me. Praise the Lord. Blessed may his name be renowned in Israel. Let's praise Jesus. Let's praise Jesus to him vertically. Let's don't forget to praise him. Um, but also praise him to our fellow men. I like there's a quote that says the the it what's evangelism? Well, one that I like is evangelism is one beggar leading another beggar to bread. Right? Isn't that kind of what it feels like? You know, yeah, I was I was lost in sin too. I was miserable too. I was depressed too. I didn't know where I was going either. But Jesus, He freed me. He saved me. He He pointed me in the right direction. He did everything for me. He made me new. And we just say He's good. We tell people, tell people about Jesus, what He's done for us. May His name be renowned in Israel. Well, we could say Kirksville. We want to take opportunities to share with people. There's opportunities. People are needy. People are searching, and you've got the answer. Uh, Jesus. And you've been there, and you can tell them. I wasn't in your exact situation, but I was a slave to sin. But I was, and just share what God's done for you. Well, just to conclude, I'm just going to repeat just bullet points here. Christ came, God, to save all tribes, tongues, people, and nations. Littlest, from the the least person on the world, um, whoever that is. Every single one of them is valuable, and every single one of them has an opportunity if they will trust Christ to be redeemed. Set free by Christ because he paid a costly redemption not just to free us from our sin, but a personal redemption where He's giving Himself to us. And that redemption is greater than this really wonderful redemption here with Boaz and Ruth and Naomi. It's greater because it's deeper. It's spiritual. It's not going to end. This 
redemption here lasted um, just for a time uh, until death, but ours is going to last into eternity. And so we want to recognize that and thank the Lord that we, He didn't leave us without a Redeemer and praise Him. And we can be thankful. And to just kind of conclude this, it's like here, this is a good picture in the story of where Christ came from, right? That this is one of Christ's great, 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 I don't know how many great grandparents that eventually there's Jesse, then David, and then down from David to Jesus. And so we can be thankful for this on many different levels, thankful for the story itself in its context, that this was salt and light in the time to just show people every person's valuable. Uh, not only that, we can be thankful for this because it led to Jesus. And we can be thankful for this story because, you know, this account, this his- historical account, because it teaches us about Christ and what we have in Him. So, all right, why don't we pray together before we close? Father, we do just thank you that you sent your Son. And Jesus, we thank you that uh, you died for us. Thank you that you are taking care of us even now. Thank you that you're willing to wash away all our sins and take us on as your um, bride and servants and uh, brothers and co-inheritors. We're just so thankful. and But we ask that you'd make us more thankful. Uh, help us to see it for what it is. We don't want to become numb to what you did for us on the cross. Pray for our kids. I just pray for the kids in the church just hearing about Jesus so much. Um, we're thankful for that. We're thankful for the opportunity, but I pray you give them soft hearts, um, that, that, that things would be real to them and not routine. Pray the same for us as we go throughout our day today and get up tomorrow morning, that you just make it real to us of what you've done for us in the, in the cross and that it would affect our life. Thank you for Boaz and the light that he was there in um, this really wicked time in Israel's history. pray you'd make us like that here in our time. Uh, Help us to be different because we're looking to you. Uh, We hand these things to you. Uh, We love you, and we're thankful for you. Jesus, amen.